0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church.
1: Open your Bibles, if you will, to a really awesome book of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 25. All God's people said, Woo! It's it even better. Also, turn over and put your bulletin in Deuteronomy chapter 15. That's here for Deuteronomy. <laughs> I can see the excitement on your face. You're like, oh my goodness, it's a judgment day today, right? Because that's all that's in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right? Judgment? No, see, that's where we got it all wrong. We look at, at at the law and we look at at the boundaries that God be, makes, and we go, oh, that's horrible. But man actually. If we stay within the boundaries that God gives us, it is incredible freedom and it's hope and it's goodness. And so this morning, I hope you'll see some of that on the worship guide. You see the title. Today's message is called the seven year itch. Now, I'm curious, how many of you know what the seven year itch is? Let me see your hands. Okay, some of you. If you don't know what the seven-year itch is, you have no clue, just just raise your hand. Let me see. This helps me. Okay? All right. Good. That's good. The seven-year itch is a movie. Uh, Marilyn Monroe was the star of the movie. There's a host of other people in it, but who really cares because Marilyn Monroe was in it, right? (laughs) Um, And then... That movie though kind of I'm not sure if it started the concept or if it just built upon it because the concept are already there but the seven year itch came to be known as the the boredom in a marriage at about the seven year mark or the the culmination of boredom for a marriage at 7 years and scientists or or sociologists have discovered that there is a massive amount of divorce in marriage about the seven year mark that there there's a, a high level of people going, you know what, we tried it, we're done. We're just, we're, it's not, or there's, there's a, a high level of affairs. There's all kinds of things that happen. Today is not about marriage, but a marriage is part of what we're talking about today. Today is about something deeper, something that I think was woven into the fabric of God's creation and that is that every 7 years is a cycle that has passed through our life and we have to continually reimagine what is it that God has for us. We have to continually stop and rest and consider where am I going and is God is God doing am I allowing God to do in me what he wants me to do? It's a time for us to consider in our marriage. Hey, if I'm bored, why am I I bored? What am I doing? What am I not doing? I believe that that seven year is, it's not magical, but it was given to us by God as a way of saying to us, life is short. So don't live your entire life in regret not taking notice and taking count of where your life is headed. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Now, some of you, when I said seven year itch, you identified with that. Matter of fact, if you're married and you've been married longer than seven, eight years, you probably have identified in some way because you've heard the statement, seventh year's the toughest, right? Well, I have a different theory. I think the, the first year's the toughest and the, and the third year's the toughest and the fourth year's the toughest and the fifth year's the toughest and the sixth year's the, the, year the toughest and the seventh. They're all tough, right? But the reality is about that seven years, there's a, there's a shift going on and you have to fight to stay married. Am, am I talking to real people here, right? you got to fight for it. But it's not just marriage. It's everything in life. When you're in a job for seven years, you start to get bored. You start to lose vision. You start to, to have to, to, to wonder, hey, should I go somewhere else? When you're in a uh, 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 raising children, right? Seven years is, well, seven-year-olds are no walk in the park. They're wonderful, but it's, it, it, it can be difficult. Well, there's actually a biblical concept here that God gave to us dealing with the seventh year. And I think that it's a principle that we should apply in our life. It's something that I am intentionally going to apply in my life this year. And I want to invite you into this journey with me. So Leviticus chapter 25. Let's look at it. Leviticus chapter 25, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, Speak to the land and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years... "'Sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards, and gather their crops. But in the seventh year the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your unattended vines. The land is to have a year of rest.'" Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, for your male, your female servants, and the hired worker and the temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in the land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. And in the very next verse, he says, count off seven Sabbaths or seven times seven or seven, seven years. And then that year is called the year of Jubilee. So there's a principle that God gives to the Israelites, and I don't think that this principle should fall on deaf ears when it comes to us. Now, we are, of course, part of a new covenant. We are followers of Jesus. We're not followers of Jewish tradition, not followers of Jewish law. But Jewish tradition and Jewish law were the precursor to our faith. So we ought to take notice to it. And we ought to say, what are the principles? What are the precepts that God was teaching them in order for them to have life? And then what of those precepts should we pull into our own life? And this precept here, this principle, is the idea of not working constantly. Not going constantly. It's the understanding. Notice it says that for six years you are to work the land. For six years, you are to tirelessly work. You are to to put your nose to the grindstone, so to speak. You're supposed to to plan and to fertilize and to bring harvest year after year after year. But then he says, on the seventh year, I want you to cease all agricultural work. And I want you to give the land a rest. Now, you can see the obvious difficulties with this, right? Right? I mean, there are multiple difficulties, Not the least of which is this. If we don't plant, how are we going to eat, right? Now, that would be my first concern if I were in a conversation with God on this. Lord, I like to eat. And knowing my, uh, 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 my propensity to eat, I'm thinking I'm going to run out of food. And God says, look, I got you covered. He said, on the seventh year, you're to let the land rest. Don't till it, don't sow it, don't fertilize it, don't reap nothing. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide in the land on the sixth year enough to, tear, to carry you through three years. So God makes the provision. He says, on the sixth year, I'm going to give you enough to cover the sixth year, enough to cover the seventh year, and enough to cover the eighth year. Because in the eighth year, when you start planting, what's going to happen? Since you didn't have anything the last year, you're going to be hungry again. So he goes, look, I'm going to provide for you for the three years when you get those crops going again. But here's what it's going to require. It's going to require you to understand a couple of things. Number one, you are going to have to understand who owns the land. One of the biggest principles God is teaching the Israelites, and I believe he's teaching us, is this. God owns it all. One of the reasons he says to not work on the seventh year is to remind us that it's his land. It's His, it's his his hills, it's his rivers, it's his streams, it's his cattle on a thousand hills. And you know what folks, without an intentional, um, um, without an intentional um, um, view of that, we can forget who owns what, amen? We can think because we work at it so long that it belongs to us and the Lord's going, no, it doesn't belong to you, it belongs to me. Now why is this important? Because ownership equals responsibility. And ownership equals authority. If you own something, you are not only responsible for it, but you are you also have authority for it. My my property, where I, my house is, I'm the owner, at least theoretically speaking. We're in a we're in a negotiation with the bank on this one. So but I'm the I'm the owner. Of the property. Therefore, I say who gets to come in my backyard. And don't I have the right to do that? I determine if I want to pull a pool in or if I want to grow grass or if I want to uh, uh, do whatever. Why? Because it's mine. I own it. It's my authority for it, but it's also my responsibility. Nobody else is going to cut my yard. That's why I choose to have a natural yard of dirt. Works perfectly every time. The the, the truth is, ownership has authority and responsibility. And God is reminding his people, this is mine. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the fullness of what... So so we have to remember that all that we have here, really, we're just... We're not even co-owners. We're like... We're like, well, we're managers, we're stewards. The house you have is not really yours. It belongs to the Lord. If you don't believe that, go ahead and tell him it's yours and tell him you want to battle him for it. Anybody take, anybody want to do that? Of course not. Your car, if you want to, you want to say your car is yours, go ahead and tell the Lord that. See what he thinks about it. Man, he will stick that tire. I mean, no. The, I, that's sorry, it's a little little too soon, huh, Terrell? <laughs> I'm sorry, I saw you grinning over there and I thought you were thinking something you weren't thinking. Uh, the reality is everything. And so God was telling the Israelites, look, I want you to first and foremost recognize that the land is mine, and therefore I say, don't touch the land. Which leads us to the next thing. He says, I own it, but I also want you to act in obedience. Because, again, authority. So I want you to act in obedience. How hard would it have been to be here when God said, all right, seventh year, put your plows away. Take your seed, put it in a barn. Everything that you got last year is going to last you the next couple of years. How hard would it be to wake up in the morning? And and, and you're a farmer, man. This is your, not only is it your job, but it's also your your subsistence—it's—it's it's, it's the way you trade, and for you to walk out and look at your fields and see weed starting to grow, or or to see it just kind of uh, uh, untouched. Now, the first couple of weeks probably would be nice, but after a month or two, I don't know about you, but I'd be getting a little antsy, wouldn't wouldn't you? I'd be getting a little anxious. Going first off, the man in me would go, "Man, I gotta work. I gotta do something. I can't fish all day." Well, maybe I wouldn't say that, but. <laughs> I, you know, there, there's, this, there's this, this thing about us that require us to, to, to work. But then you start thinking of the responsibility. Man, I've got to feed my kids. I've got to feed my wife. I've got to listen to my wife when she says, hey, why aren't you out at work? Right? Because wives are really good about helping us to know what we need to do as men. That's not a joke, folks. I know you. Amen? How many of you have a wife that helps you with that? Let me see your hands. You're bold enough. Okay. Smart enough anyways. Yeah. There's this... Wives just have a different sense about things. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. So you've got this this whole thing working up. And then the guy's going to go over to a silo and go, Man, we've been eating on this thing for four months now. And I am... I really think, in my life at least, this is the way God has worked. God, God's over here going... <laughs> y'all can Watch this. This is going to be good. So he goes over to a silo after four months and he goes... Man, I'm at one-fourth left. We started at, ooh, I'm supposed to last three-quarters of the year with one-fourth left in my silo. Lord, did you really say don't work the land? And God's over here going, <laughs> I told you all this is good. Yeah, yeah, don't work the land. I'll provide for you. Lord, are, are you, are you, you know, we seeing the same thing here? Because we started here and now we're here, and, and my math doesn't calculate that that's going to work for the rest of the year and then into next year. And God says this. He goes, don't worry about it. I got it. Here's the word. Trust me. He's taking all the pressure off of the farmer and he's saying all the pressure is on me and what I've said I will do. In other words, his character is at stake. His integrity is at stake. And so I just kind of, if I could picture this out, God's going, y'all, this is really going to get good. Watch this. The next morning, this farmer goes out and he opens the door and he goes, huh, that's strange. Yesterday, I took some of the grain out, and it lowered it below the line, and today it's back at the line. Okay, well, it's just weird, so get some. And the next day, he goes in, and he goes, well, that's strange too, because I distinctly remember it was lower the line, lower the, down the line yesterday, and I, and I took note. I thought I was just seeing things, and now it's back up at the line. And God's over here going, see what I told you? What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring it down to a quarter level, and every day when he goes to sleep, I'm going to fill it up again. Back and forth. How many of y'all have ever experienced this in your life? And God says, "I'm only going to give what you need, give you what you need to, for tomorrow when tomorrow comes, because I want you to exercise your obedience through this thing called faith." When the land was left untouched for an entire year, God was saying, "I own it." I will provide for you. You don't have to make your own way. You just get to act upon the faith that you have in me and my word. And for this next year, we're going to have a unique and special relationship. But don't worry, because when year eight comes, you're going to get back to work, right? Now, this year is called a sabbatical year. And, and, and in Jewish terms, there's a, it, it's a very rich part of history. There actually was a lot of, uh, even, even still recently, there's a lot of angst about it because in our economy today, doing a sabbatical year is tough. I mean, you're talking about in Israel today, them going, hey, we can't plant this year because it's a sabbatical year. of people over here are going, wait a minute. That's not the way the world works. So it's this constant friction. But you can believe there was friction here, too, because then even more so than now, if they didn't plant, they didn't eat. And God says, I want you to test me. I want you to trust me. So what was God doing? Number one, he was. He was reminding them of his ownership, his authority, and his um, uh, his, uh, uh, his ownership and his responsibility. But the second thing he was doing is he was calling the people to obedience to do what didn't make sense to their own eyes. And the third thing was their obedience would test their faith and they would have to trust God. And then the fourth thing is even is even more personal if you ask me. Not only did he say you're not allowed to plant for it, he said you're going to allow, you're going to have to let the land just grow whatever I choose to grow on it as God, and you have to take down your private property postings. He said for the next year, this seventh year, anybody who wants to walk on your land and grab an apple or snag a bunch of grapes, or pick a pick a piece of corn or wheat or whatever, you must let them, whether they're a stranger, an alien, a man slave or a female slave, you must let them on and let them eat freely. Now to be honest with you, this would be the hardest part for me. How many of y'all would, would identify with that? It'd be the hardest part. Just let, it'd be like letting somebody in your backyard whenever they want to come in. That would be hard. Why? Because 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 we hold things like this, right? I mean, we protect what's ours. We and, and to a degree, rightly so. But there's a bigger principle at work. God is saying, sometimes in our life, we can get so focused on what we have and what we own and what we're responsible for, that we lose sight of what's going on right outside our window. And God is trying to keep that from happening. Yesterday, I experienced a marvelous experience. About three weeks ago, we got a, a note card in the mail, and it said, hey, we're having a block party. The house on the curve, so just bring a side, bring something to drink, and bring your lawn chairs, and the whole block is going to get together and just have a cookout. And that's exciting, right? There's a Saturday I don't have to cook, and it's an excuse not to have to work. So, hey, that's great. I'm sorry, I can't work on a house today. We've got to go to this block party. <laughs> this works for me, right? So about 4 o'clock, we packed our stuff and we, we walked like, to the next door because that's where the party was. And, and the neighbors started showing up. And here's what I discovered. I discovered that even though I've seen my neighbors, I didn't know my neighbors. I met people and I learned their names. I've been living in this house now for, what, 13, 14 years? And I had no idea that they actually lived five houses down. I had no idea that some of the things in my neighbor's life that, 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 that I thought I knew, I didn't know. You know, different kinds of events in their lives that have happened. And we sat down and we talked and God reminded me of this story. He goes, you know what? We get so focused on doing our life, just, just making sure it happens that, that our, our, our vision just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and we get tunnel visions, tunnel vision and we wind up not knowing the most important things we need to know. Can I get a witness? How many of you know your neighbors? Yeah, okay, great point. Lori, you know your neighbors because the Lord forced you to know your neighbors, didn't he? And that was a gift, wasn't it? If you don't know Lori's story, she had an accident. She should have died, but the Lord rescued her out of that accident. All kinds of traumatic things. She couldn't drive for a period of time. And because she couldn't drive, she just walked around and figured she'd meet her neighbors. And it was a gift. Now, she can drive now, and it's awesome. It's an amazing story. But that's the point. God says, look, you're not naturally going to slow down. So I'm going to make you slow down. How many of you know your neighbor's names? How many of you know what's going on in their life? You know, their hurts. Now, not every neighbor is going to share that. But here's the point. We should know more than just our own little circle. We should be open to understanding what's going on. Because what if God puts you in that neighborhood for that very reason? What if he puts you there to be salt and light and not really a what if he did? So that's a whole other message there. So God said, let your land have no borders. Let people come and go. And as they do, here's what I think he was doing. I want you to notice the poor. I want you to notice the hungry that you couldn't notice before because you were busy working the land. Now you just get to sit and watch. And when you see them, I want you to know that I love them and I want you to love them as well. You know, in pastor land, that's what I call... Uh, church work in pastor land it's really easy for us to to see some things and miss huge amounts of the world we can get so focused on tasks, tasks and jobs and in certain groups of people that we can forget or well not forget but we can just be totally um, um, blind to all of the hurt and need that's going on around us and that's the worst place that we could possibly be but it's not just us that can happen to you too is there anybody out here who'd be honest enough to say, you know, that has been me before? I've been blind to that before? Yeah. So God built a way. He built a system. He said on the seventh year, take a break from your work. Now, I can understand a couple of weeks, but a whole year, that is a massive, massive amount of time. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. Then I want to move over into, uh The passage in um, uh, Deuteronomy. Here's the last thing. So God said that we're not to work the land. And I think one of the final reasons is this. To give the land a rest. But to give us a rest. You were not made to work without rest. You were not made to pursue without a reprieve. You are not made to have one vision that lasts the rest of your lifetime. Because if you're growing, then growth means you're changing, right? Growth means that, 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 that you're thinking of new things. Growth means that you don't get bored. You're, you're becoming more alive, not less alive. Y'all follow me here? I think that what God was saying was this. I know you won't not I know you won't choose to rest, so I'm going to force you to rest, and I'm going to force you to give up control. Because you know what rest is? It's giving up control. It's relinquishing the reins so that you become, in a sense, helpless, which forces you to test everything that you believe or think you believe. That is a very unstable place to be, but it is a marvelously healthy place to be. Because here's what happens. I've seen it, and I'm convinced that most of us naturally are going to do this. There are people in this room that aren't going to listen to what I say today, and you're going to do this. And 15 or 20 years down the road, you're going to turn around and you go, you know, maybe I should have listened. You're going to have that macho attitude of, no, that's, men work, man. Men just, men just keep trudging, man. man. They make it happen. Women, women just they just march forward. They just do it, and they, they earn the way. And, and you're going to keep going. And even though you're going to be doing stuff, your life is going to be sucked from you, and it's going to become more and more empty and more and more meaningless. And at some point, you're going to look back and say, what did I really accomplish? It happens all the time. All the time. There are people who do entire careers, and when they retire from that career, they look back and they say, you know, I sure wish I would have done something different. You ever heard that? You ever seen a marriage where people uh, at, at 25, 35, 40 years, they say, you know what? This marriage ain't working. We're done. You ever seen that? Why? It's because about the seven year mark there a little boredom comes in and a little curiosity comes in And what we tend to do is say "Ooh, I don't want to deal with that That's messy and that's ugly and that's that's going to take that's going to that's going to require me to stop chasing the dream And so let's just pull a sheet and put it over it. Just hide it and then keep walking Oh, and then it starts to stink, right? And because it starts to stink. We go man. We got to cover up the smell I know let's get busier Let's do more Let's let's, let's let's go more places. Let's chase after more things. But you know the truth about something that's, that's dead and decaying? You want, you want to know a truth about that? It never stops stinking. Never. It only stinks worse. And if you don't deal with it now, listen, you will deal with it eventually. That's the truth in your marriage. If you just breeze by... In your marriage. And you just cover it up. Don't deal with it. You will deal with it. You will deal with it. Eventually. It's just going to be a whole lot harder to deal with it then. Than if you dealt with it when you first know. How many of y'all know this is true? Can I see your hand? Am I telling the truth here? In your work. In your relationship with your kids. It's in every area of life. So God has a plan. Turn over, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter fifteen. This this is an even more difficult thing, I think. <clears throat> In Deuteronomy ch- chapter fifteen, the seventh year, at the end of the, of the seventh year, at the end of the, the rest of the sabbatical year, there's a command that God gave. He says, Before you start year eight, here's what I want you to do I want you to cancel all debts. Chapter 15, Deuteronomy, verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment for a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However... There need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, He will richly bless you. If only you will fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as He has promised, and you will lend to many nations and will not borrow from any. You will rule over many nations, but not, they will not rule over you. So what he's saying to them is this, not only are you supposed to let the land rest for seven, for on the seventh year for the whole year, but at the end of the seventh year, you are to take a big rubber stamp and on every debt that is owed to you, you're to go, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. That'd be hard, wouldn't it? That means your brother-in-law who, who borrowed money to, to start the, a, a new fertilizer business, new fish pond maybe, wanted to add on to the back of the house. At the end of the seventh year, whatever he owed you, you were to go, paid in full. Now, why would God do that? What would be the reason for that? Well, part of that was to teach us about the nature and the character of God. And part of that was to point towards the gospel. But part of that was to get us to think about our decisions in year one. To be good stewards in year one, knowing that it's seventh year, it's all going to be debt-free, right? And so he's saying, look, I want you to be a good steward over here because you're probably not going to remember year seven unless I tell you to remember year seven. So as you're in year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, you're remembering that on the seventh year things are going to be canceled, so you manage differently here. You live your life differently. So you say to me, well, Jeff, what in the world does this have to do with me? Here's what I'm asking you to do, and then I'm going to tell you how I'm going to live this out in my life, okay? I'm asking you to take a seventh-year sabbatical. Now, you might not be on your seven years. You might have blown past this, and it might be 15 or 20 years. But I want you to go back and recapture the concept of sabbatical. The concept of saying, I am going to take time—say it this way— To sharpen my axe. You know what that phrase means? It's of the lumberjack who goes out day after day after day with his axe and he cuts down trees. But he's so busy cutting down trees that he never stops to sharpen the axe. Because it's a waste of time because there's trees to cut down. But guess what? If you don't sharpen your axe, you wind up spending more time cutting down a tree than you should. It winds up in frustration and it's dangerous and all those things. I'm asking you to apply the biblical principle of sabbatical in your life. And you're gonna ha- it's going to be between you and God and you and your family. But for you to reevaluate the important things of your life. Number one, your job. Are you doing what God has called you to do? You go, wait a minute, I'm not a preacher. So what does that have to do with it? I mean, your vocation... Is just as much a calling as mine. God places you where He places you to be salt and light. Now sure, it provides for you, but at the end of the day, are you not a representative of Jesus at your job? Aren't you? If you're a teacher, you certainly are. If you're a physician, you certainly are. If, you're, if you work in any of the medical field with dentist or, or a physical therapy or whatever, you certainly are representative. If you're a student, you certainly are, right? If you're a, in, in, the, in the retail business, you certainly are. There's not a place that you could work that you are, are not, you don't have the opportunity to be a representation of the gospel. So the question is, are you where you need to be? Now, don't, don't, I hope your boss doesn't call me and say, he quit today. I'm not saying that, please. But I'm saying, take a step. What are you afraid of? You know what some of you are afraid of? You're afraid of the unknown, so you're going to stay in what you know, even though you're absolutely miserable. Can I get an amen on that? Because safety is easier than going after where God is calling you. I want to say to you that the very words of God to the Israelites we can trust. I am the Lord your God, I am your provider. So if you step back and evaluate your job, is this where God has called me? Listen, he may have called you there for a time and a period. You might be in that. You might be at the end of it. What does it hurt to evaluate it? Maybe God will call you somewhere else. Maybe God will just reaffirm this is where I have you. But don't be afraid to ask. I want you to reevaluate your marriage. If you're married, you need to do that just like I need to do that. Amen? Are you just getting along? Are you just getting by? Or do you have a marriage that's going to last the duration of your life? How many of y'all really do hope you're divorced in five years? Don't raise your hand if that's... that's, (laughs) I suddenly realized the silliness of... Because if one of y'all were like, yeah, dude, I'm hoping for like next week. That's not a good play. The truth is, none of us say our I do's hoping that it'll be temporary. But most of us live accidental marriages. To stay, to get married is easy. To stay married is hard. Can I say to you that a sabbatical year is a time for you to step back and evaluate your marriage and build on what is broken or lacking and celebrate that which is good. Amen? Listen... Girls don't want to do it more than guys when it comes to this. They just usually go about it differently. They usually come about it from different angles. But I want to say that your marriage is the most valuable thing you have. And it's something that the enemy wants to destroy as much or more than anything else you have. Amen? Because if he can destroy your marriage, he can destroy your whole family. Or at least he can hurt it really, really badly. Take this time, intentional time. I'm going to evaluate my marriage, and I'm going to work on it. It's not going to be perfect, but I'm going to to work on it. What about your children? When's the last time you evaluated your relationship with your children? You stepped back and you said, you know what? We're going to stop doing all the stuff that we do because we're running around like a chicken with our head off. You know that phrase, right? Do you all know where that phrase comes from? If you, if you take a chicken's head off, that chicken doesn't just go. No, that chicken, it, it's, a, it's a brutal sight. So many families are, 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 are operating with their, in their kids' lives just like that. The head is long gone, but they're just flopping. It's this awful, awful sight. And listen. The enemy wants to get into your family and he wants to destroy it. And one of the ways he's going to do it is by you getting over-committed and over-mobilized. Uh, uh, over and then before long, you turn around and you go, where did the time go? I'm not preaching at you. I'm in this with you. So evaluate those th- your job, evaluate your marriage, evaluate your your, your, your children. And then I'd say, evaluate where you are in your relationship with God. Take time to be still and know that He is God. I would venture to say, based on the the part of your life that you're in, um, you're probably very busy and you you probably don't have a whole lot of intentional, this is just you and me, Lord. I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen. You're probably, if you're like most people, Doing a drive-through Jesus thing, right? You're not even going into the restaurant. You're doing the drive-through. Yes, well, this is Jesus. God, I talk to you? Yes, Lord. Uh, here's what I need. I need this, 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 and this. Okay, I'll meet you at the second window. You drive. Okay, here we go. Let's make a transaction. We go on. Y'all get the picture? A drive-through Jesus? That's not, that's not the way God built us. You say, yeah, that's the way our world is. Jesus said, don't be of this world. Be different. Be separate. Say, well, I can't do that. Yes, you can. You just got to fight for it. You know what's cool about, uh, about my particular situation is I've been, as you know, been working on our house and we've been doing a bunch of renovation and modeling stuff. And our house is so discombobulated. That's a perfect word. That it's almost brought a sense of togetherness for the family. It's weird. It should be, it should be like we're disconnected, but we have to fight to find a place to sit down and eat. And, and, and the TVs aren't really working, so we have to, like, talk to each other at night, right? I mean, it, it's, this, it's this weird, uncomfortable place where we're going, man, we kind of like this. What if you intentionally did that in your life? What if you intentionally planned a sabbatical where you evaluated these things? Now, don't worry about it. If you're thinking, man, I can't, I, can't, I, can't stop, I can't stop running towards the goal. Yes, you can, because on the eighth year, what did, they, what did God say? Go ahead and get back to working. There's this one company, this one guy, rather, that I... I he did a TED Talk, and it became real famous. He decided he was going to close his business every seventh year. He said, I'm not even a religious person, but I'm going to close my business. I'm, he's a creator. He does marketing design. I'm going to close my business for the entire seventh year, and I'm just going to reimagine... My life. He said it's become more profitable, more productive, and more enjoyable. He figured, this is the way he worked it out. He said, the first 25 years of my life, I'm learning. The next 40 years of my life, I'm working. The next 15 years of my life, I'm retired. He said, I'm going to cut five years off of my retirement, and I'm going to intersperse them in those 40 years of working. So about every seven years, and so far, he's a whole lot more productive, and he'll say he's a whole lot happier. Now, am I saying something to y'all that's a little uncomfortable? Am I saying something to y'all that y'all are actually dreaming about, wishing you could make happen? You're thinking to yourself, man, that would be really, really awesome. Bob, may I? Okay. So y'all know Bob, right? (laughs) Do you know Bob? Of course you know Bob. This is Bob. Bob. If, if, I, if I'm too close, you just tell me, okay? So Bob was part of a hospital and the hospital uh, made some management changes and he was allowed to be free of that job, okay? And so be free, being free of that job, they said you essentially you have the next year to figure it out. So you've been jobless for a year, right? June 30th, it's coming up one year. Would you... Come on up here. What time is it? Ooh, man. Not a whole lot of time. because i got to see that. Uh, that doesn't work. Here's this one. Orange. So, can you share a few things that God taught you? This is totally spontaneous, but I, I know Bob's okay. Sure. What, what, what are some of the things God taught you in that year of... It's kind of a sabbatical year, really.
0: You, a forced you, one. You know, I, I didn't know what this was until you started talking, but I've been saying... Cindy, this, this is me this is what, what God did I hated my job, hated my job sucked the life out of me every day. I'm Sorry, but
1: that's brutal honesty, thank
0: you on the first day, on the first day I went home, laid on the couch, took off all my clothes laid on the couch wait, wait, wait. well, wait. Wait. I, wait, I left underwear on but, no I left work at 3 o'clock on the first day the first day, and I said, I'm never going back I'm never going, did I, did I do that? I went back but why did you stay? Because I had to it was a job you had to, but but when they when they made these changes, they gave me a year of pay and benefits, so God has literally provided an entire year where i 've been able to serve God just about every day in some way i 've been able to do more things in ministry, Bible study, school, um, uh, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my children, everything everything you 're saying. I I didn't evaluate it as well as you're saying. I wish Cindy just said, wish we had this a year ago, you know. But but everything has changed. And um, I'm not worried about June 30 because I know God did this, and he said he's going to provide. I never made this connection, never, till today. Now I have even more assurance that whatever happens on July 1st, God's already got planned, and I just have to not worry about it. I've been trying to live that way. I just didn't know how strong the promise was till today. Amen. So thank you.
1: So God's taught you a bunch of stuff. Yes. And it's been, a, it's been hard, yeah. but it's been a joy.
0: It's been hard because I'm a man, I work, I've always worked. I, I, like, I, I had in some places, you know, sort of big jobs. So the, here's the hardest thing someone says, So you're still looking? Oh, God, yeah. There's a lot I, of pride but there. But I, I want to say, Not really. Yeah. Not really. I, I know there's work I could do, but I don't want to do it because it's a sacrifice on my family. It means I can go work and make more money than I used to make, but I'll be away from my family four days a week. And I don't, I don't want to do that. If, I mean, four overnights. I don't want to do that. But I've learned um, God really does keep his promises. I, I learned that... Um, when someone says God's got a plan and God's got a will for your life, you just have to figure out what that is. I already know what that is. See, most people, when they ask that question, they're thinking, what job yeah. am I supposed to have? But God's will for my life is to love him with all of my heart and my soul and my you know my strength and to love others. How I know, really, I just figured that out this year. Like, that's truly God's will for my life. And love others as myself. Now, what job I have while I'm doing that is completely optional. I can still do those things. That's the biggest thing I've learned.
1: Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. So, um, again, don't hear what we're not saying. We're not saying go quit your job tomorrow because then we'd have to put you on welfare and food stamps and we don't want to do that, okay? What we're saying is, just take a step back and begin listening to the Lord on some of these things. Don't, don't go so fast for what you think you want that you blow past some of the things that God wants. The joy is not in the destination. The joy is in the journey. I hope you hear that today. So here is the way I'm going to live this out. Uh, and I'll try to be very, very quickly because I, quick I know it's, we're right at the edge of time. So, um, about five years, I asked the church to approve a sabbatical for me. Uh, at the time, I had been here 10 years, and uh, they said, yeah, sure, you need a sabbatical, go ahead and do it. Now, just so you know, sabbatical is not a strange comp, com, uh, uh, concept in the academic world. Tenured professors get uh, six months to a year sabbatical every seven years, and even non-tenured, it can be part of their contract as well. The reason for that is universities realize: look, if you're constantly giving, you got to take chance. You, you got to get a, get aside, and you got to just let that let that rest a little bit and refresh. Otherwise, you're just you're just giving information. You're not teaching. And so companies started picking up on this. IBM, McDonald's actually has a sabbatical program. Did you know that? Pretty cool. Um, Patagonia, REI, all of these companies are going, you know what? It makes sense for our, our committed, seasoned um, employees. We should give them a ch- uh, an intentional time away so they can, they can come, first off, so they don't take their best talent and go somewhere else. But second off, so they can go away and be refreshed and come back with fresh vision. Because only one idea from some of those guys can totally change company. So I asked for this time, and the church said yes. That was five years ago. I was doing a grant, and it never was approved. It was a national clergy grant, and so we just kept putting it off year after year after year. Well, this coming September, I will have been here for 16 years. The average stay of a pastor, or the average tenure of a pastor is three and a half years at a church. And if you can imagine that, every three and a half years, you have somebody new leading, which means your staff is turning over. I mean, it just... We, I've been here 16 years in September. The rest of our staff has been here going on a good solid amount of time as well. We, we have, a, we have a, a, a very intentional, very determined direction that we're going. And so uh, this year is the year that I'm going to take a sabbatical. And it's, uh, we talked about the business meeting last time we met, but it's a 14-week. It's two, weeks of se- two, two blocks of seven. The first seven weeks is given just to my family. And it's a way of me saying to my children and to my wife, I am all in for you. I am all yours. You don't share me with anybody. Now, that may not sound like a big deal to some of y'all, but in preacher world, it really is a big deal. You may not realize that my kids are known as preacher's kids, whether they want to be or not. They have carried the weight through elementary school, through middle school, and through high school with that overarching um, label of preacher's kids. And you know what they say about preacher's kids, right? I get it all the time. Oh, you have preacher's kids? I go, no, my kids aren't typical preacher's kids because what they're talking about are the kids who come to church and do all the pretty stuff and then on Monday through Friday, they live a worse life than anybody else. That's, that is what people think of preacher's kids. My children have faithfully carried that mantle. They didn't ask for it. It was placed upon them. But I will tell you, they, I want my kids to know that I am their daddy more and beyond me being a preacher. And seven weeks... They get just me with no interruptions from anyone. And so I've asked Brent to carry the load and Kevin. They're going to carry the, the, the predominant amount of the pastoring load. So the funerals, the, the, the decisions, all of that stuff. I told him, I said, don't call me unless something so drastic that you just, just it's good. if it's going to affect us for the next 20 years, maybe call me. But other than that, you make the decision, you handle it. Brent's going to carry the load of preaching. Kevin is going to carry a lot of the load of, um, well, he's going to carry all the load of worship and organizing the services and everything. But the first seven weeks is just for my family. The second seven weeks is divided between my wife and just me. So I'm going to give my wife just me. Now, I know what you're saying, lucky girl, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: I can kind of
1: no, but here 's what you listen i'm not i 'm not it's so hard to say these things. this is very personal this is very um this is very transparent, so I hope you hear what i 'm saying. The wife of a pastor probably carries the greatest load of anybody else in the church because there are expectations that aren 't spoken but just assumed, some of them are placed on, and some of them are taken on themselves. But Shannon has been a pastor's wife now here for almost 16 years. And she's seen and heard and then not seen and heard because I don't tell her most of the stuff that's ugly. And believe me, in 16 years, there's some really ugly stuff. But but she's kind of been, not kind of, she's been incredibly faithful in it. But it's, it's a way for me to say, and a way for the church to say, you are important, and you deserve some time that's just yours. Are you okay with that, church? Here's the, here, here's the thing that you don't want. You don't want to be a church that has to explain to the community why your pastor is divorced and separated and single because he didn't take care of his marriage. You don't want to be that church. And that happens all over the place or you have a wife who just goes back into a corner, just sucks it up and just lives a life that's not the way God intended that to live. Now that's not what's happening, but I'm saying I'm why do we always wait till there's a problem to deal with these things? We're getting on the front end and saying, "Look, we 're going to ensure a healthy family we 're going to ensure a healthy church before we have to fix an unhealthy situation. Does that make sense so I, I hope that came out right there 's nothing going on i 'm just saying this is intentionally time saying shannon, I'm just yours, and look what you get I mean come on and then the last couple the last the last few weeks of that second seven weeks is is just me. Listening to God to reimagine what God has for us as a church. After 16 years, um, I need to revision what God has for us. I believe that our greatest days are ahead of us, but I also believe that it's going to be something. It's going to be. It, it's something beyond just business as usual, because there are lost people who need Jesus who we're not connecting with. And so that's the, that's the plan. It's going to start the day after Father's Day and end in September. Um, as I said, Brent and Kevin are going to take the pastoral lead. Of course, we've got Teresa, we've got Tommy, and we've got, who am I missing, Shannon. And, and so and you want to know what's hard about this? I want you to imagine having a business that you started, and then you were the last, you, you were the last one to leave night after night after night. If something didn't happen, it was on you to figure out to make it happen. Nobody in this room thought every single day for months, how in the world are we going to put on a roof on the church? Some of you thought about it a few times. Nobody thought about it every single day. I did. It's my job, right? So I want you to imagine having this business, taking out the keys and going, it's all yours.
0: Here? <laughs> okay? Here you go.
1: It's all yours. Be faithful to the Lord. That is as much about my ego as it is anything else. Because when I get back, you may decide you don't want me. You may decide you need me. It's okay. You want to know why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against her. This is, this is an exercise and a demonstration that Jeff doesn't run anything. I simply steward. It's going to be hard. <laughs> but here's the deal. I trust the pastors that you have. I completely trust them. And I know that God is going to bless this time beyond our wildest imagination. So I hope you're okay with that. Hope that doesn't scare you. I also hope that it, it causes you to rise up and take on some responsibility that right now my family's doing. I counted up the other day, I'm not sure that you realize how much of a load just my family carries here. I'm not saying that in a a bragging way, I'm saying my children, my wife, we we carry a lot of the weight of what has to happen. It's going to be good for that to be transferred. It's going to be healthy. Not just for my family, but it's going to be healthy for you. Most exciting part, and I'm done. It's going to be nice to not be an official pastor for 14 weeks. Because do you know I don't go anywhere in this city that I don't do it as a pastor. I can't do it as Jeff. I have to do it as a preacher. If I go to the hospital, I'm a pastor. If I go to to buy something at the car dealership, I'm a pastor. I can't negotiate without thinking, how is this going to affect the gospel and how is it going to affect the church? Because they think pastors are certain ways. I can't be too I can't I can't I can't negotiate too hard because I don't want them to think I'm cheap. Father, today is a good day. And Lord, as I wrestled with this message today, I wrestled with the spirituality of it. Lord, what does this have to do with us? <clears throat> the Lord, it has everything to do with us. As the people of God, you've called us to live in a world that is not, that doesn't have the same values, it doesn't have the same mindset, doesn't have the same loves. Father, as the people of God, you have called us to eternal things, even in the midst of temporary things. So, Father, my prayer over your people is that you would let us love deeply. God, I pray that, that the people in this room would fully comprehend how much I love them. How they're on my mind constantly. How I pray for them and how I, how I weep over them. Father, I pray that this day you would, you would remind us that you, O oh God, have ordained our steps. You have given us wisdom and you have given us grace and you have given us victory over so many things that that seem to have captured us and, and put us into the pit. But God, you are our rescuer. You are our fortress. You are our foundation. You are ever firm and stable. You are faithful. And God, we can be confident in who you are and we can be confident in what you've said. Father, this is your church, and you have done such a mighty thing here, and you're doing such a mighty thing amongst our students and amongst our our adults and just just with every age group. And Father, I pray that you would lead us into greater obedience. Lord, may may this act of faith be duplicated in all of our lives so that the name of Jesus will be exalted above every other name through our example god we pray for these things and god i pray for your people today who've heard your voice in this message they know what they need to do now so give them the courage to take that step